Lord, we come to hear from you. That's why we are in this room, Lord. Or that's why we should be in this room. To hear from the words of a man mean nothing unless what I say corresponds to truth and to what you have said. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you would protect me from saying false things. God, that you would protect us from treating your word lightly. And instead, Lord, may we delight in you and submit ourselves to what you have said in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a year ago, almost exactly, a year ago, less one day, I think it was on September 24th, our church began a study that's going to be multiple years through the Gospel of John. As we've gone through the book of John, we've taken some breaks along the way, like we're just coming off of a break where we looked at our mission statement, the gospel in community for all nations. We've preached from the Old Testament some. We had sermons on the Psalms. We had a sermon on Isaiah. We looked at Matthew 6 and Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. But mostly, for the last year, we have been going slowly, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John. And there's a reason why we do this. Why our church's practice is to open our Bibles and to work through, verse by verse, through whole books of the Bible. And that's because we want to hear from Jesus ourselves. We want to hear from Jesus as the Bible presents him. In doing so, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that we stand under the scriptures. There's nothing wrong with preaching topical sermons. We just came off of a topical sermon series. But topical sermons, sermons that say, what does the whole Bible preach on a topic, and then go verse by verse, picking and choosing texts to be able to help teach that, those should be more of a vitamin that supplements the health of the church rather than the diet that feeds the health of the church. Our main diet should be the words of Scripture themselves and going through and looking at the topics that God gave to us as the Bible unfolds verse by verse. We want to listen to the whole counsel of God for ourselves. Rather than choosing the things that we like and the things that we don't like, we want the Bible to shape our passions, to shape what we like and what we don't like. Because that's how we hear and see the real Jesus, not merely a Jesus made in our own image. And this is what the Apostle John is trying to do. He's written his book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing have life in his name. He says that at the end, the way in which you can believe in the real Jesus is by listening to the real Jesus. We left off our study in John 30 and John 7:39. Today we pick it up in 7:40. John 7 takes place during the Jewish feast of booths. 
So this was a time in Israel's history when the people of Israel would celebrate and remember their wandering in the wilderness. And they would set up temporary dwellings and they would be able to go and remind themselves of that. And this is a big feast. And so the people of Israel are all going up to Jerusalem. And many people there are responding to Jesus' ministry and trying to understand who Jesus is. We see different views and different responses to Jesus, even from his own brothers. Jesus' own brothers don't believe in him. Jesus' own brothers think that Jesus works many great miracles, but that he's not actually the Son of God or the Savior of the world. Other people think that he is a good teacher, We see that earlier in John 7. While some people say, I think he's leading other people astray. He's not only not a good teacher, he's a false teacher. Some people wonder if he's the Christ, the messianic king of Israel. All of this, the question is, who is Jesus? The focus is on the identity of Jesus, and that's where our passage picks up. What we just read in John 7.40. What I want to show you is that humility demands that we listen to what Jesus says and look at what Jesus does. Humility, if we are truly going to humble ourselves, it demands that we listen to what Jesus says and look at what Jesus does. And to see that, we're going to ask two questions of our text. The first is, why do people respond to Jesus in wrong ways. Some people are wrong. They ask questions of Jesus and they get the wrong answers. Why do they respond in wrong ways? And then the second question is, what does it look like to respond to Jesus in the right way? How can we respond correctly, rightly to Jesus? So first, let's look at Why do people respond to Jesus in wrong ways? In our passage, we see two different groups responding to Jesus. So verses 40 through 44, we see the crowd. Verses 45 through 52, we see the leaders. Both of these have discussions about who Jesus is. And there's division in the crowd and in the leaders about Jesus. They're meant to parallel one another. In verses 40 to 43, we see the crowds divided. Verses 45 through 52, the leaders are divided. John's showing us different responses to Jesus. Some are right. Some say true things, even though they may not understand fully. And some are flat out wrong. Jesus Christ doesn't change. The Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we don't always respond to him in right ways. We are fallible. We make mistakes. Some people don't see it. They don't see who Jesus is, that he truly is the king of Israel. Why? Well, the Apostle John shows us here why that's the case. He gives us the thought process. He, he actually invites us into conversations so that we can hear for ourselves the way that people respond to Jesus in order to show why their responses are wrong. And there's two reasons that we see in our passage. The first is that people respond to Jesus wrongly 
because they judge by appearances. They judge by what their eyes can see. And second, people respond to Jesus wrongly. Why? Because they speak from their own authority and seek their own glory. Or they defer to the authority of others. We've seen these mentioned already in John 7, but John draws them to the forefront here. So first, let's look at why people respond to Jesus wrongly in how they judge based upon appearances. The crowd is familiar with the scriptures. In today's culture, these would be church-going folks, as we would say in my part of America. These are people who go to church, they hear teaching, they are familiar with their Bibles, they know where they are supposed to look for the Christ to come from. We read it earlier in our service. Listen to verse 40 of chapter 7. When they, the crowd, heard these words, these are the words that Jesus spoke about, whoever believes in him would receive the Holy Spirit. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? That's Jesus' hometown. Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division. So they look and they hear what Jesus is saying. And some people are saying, this guy, this guy knows what he's talking about. He really is the prophet. Others say, he really is the Christ. And others say, look at your Bibles. Your Bibles say, the Christ comes from Bethlehem. Jesus comes from Galilee. You're wrong. These people are familiar with the scriptures. And they know the promise of Micah 5 too, what we just read in the pastoral prayer. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So the Christ, the ruler of Israel, is coming from Bethlehem, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem. The people know this. The people look at Jesus and they see a Galilean and they say, not the Christ. The Pharisees also are familiar with scripture. They know that there's no prophecy, at least according to their reading, that says that the Christ or that even a prophet would come from Galilee. They dismissively respond to Nicodemus, who we're going to come back to in a little bit, by pointing out, read your Bible, Nicodemus. Verse 52, the Pharisees replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. These are people that are opening up their Bibles when listening to what Jesus says, and they're proving him wrong by pointing to the scriptures. So are they right? They're wrong. About a month ago, my family and I were uh, on a couple days getaway out of Alain, and we went to Fajera, and then we went to Corfacan uh, to spend some time there, and we went to an Arabic restaurant in Corfacan. Now, I get this a lot. I don't have much hair. I have a beard. I'm a little bit darker, and so when I go into certain places, people speak to me in Arabic. They assume that I am an Arabic speaker, and I know shwe shwe. I know a little bit of Arabic, and so I'll respond 
and this happened at this restaurant. We go in, and someone spoke to me in Arabic, and I responded back. This guy must not have been very good at hearing because I don't have a good accent by any means. They don't speak in Arabic to Laura, by the way. They only speak in Arabic to me. Well, they respond, and I responded in Arabic, but then when we sat down, I ordered, I opened the menu, and I order in English, and the shift manager was surprised at this. And in fact, he didn't believe me. He was like, where are you from? And I said, I'm, I'm from America. And he goes, no. <laughs> no, you're not. You, you look Arab. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm from America. And if you spent much time with me, you would definitely know that I'm from America because I have not embraced Arabic culture. I go to bed about 9.30 and I wake up about 5.30, right? I follow NBA basketball. I barely speak English, let alone Arabic. I'm definitely from America. He judged me based upon appearances, based upon the way that I looked. Now, he had accurate data on how I looked. It's not like he was blind. It's not like he was wearing the wrong glasses. He saw me rightly, but he inferred wrong things from the data that he saw. The Pharisees in the crowd, they have the correct scriptures. They read Micah 5, and they have truth before them, but they're wrong. And it's because they're judging by appearances. They're looking at Jesus and they're only seeing with their eyes. They're not seeking understanding. Jesus lived in Galilee. In one sense, Jesus was from Galilee, but he was not born in Galilee. Kids, where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. That's right, Cars. Luke 2. Joseph, this Luke records Jesus' birth narrative, and we see Joseph also went up from Galilee, it's true, from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. It looks like Jesus is from Galilee, but he is not really from Galilee. Appearances are misleading. Jesus is truly from Bethlehem. The crowd's wrong. The scriptures aren't wrong. They are because they are judging by appearances rather than asking questions and seeking understanding. But the Pharisees aren't only judging Jesus by appearances. The Pharisees are also judging the scriptures by appearances. They have texts in the Bible they're familiar with, but they read them wrongly. They say to Nicodemus, search, Nicodemus, see, does a prophet come from Galilee? The apostle Matthew says, challenge accepted. Let's read our Bibles together, Pharisees. Let's go to Isaiah. So Matthew 4, we read this. When he heard, this is Jesus, that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and here he's quoting Isaiah 9, might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
Pharisees look at their Bibles and they are judging by appearances. Doesn't say prophet there. But Matthew shows how to read it rightly. What is a prophet doing except exposing the truth? What is light doing except shining truth so that people can see? Isaiah 9 shows from Galilee the light of the world would shine. The Pharisees judge by appearances because they think they know all the answers. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to listen to other people. They're judging by appearances. This is what Jesus says we're not supposed to do. Earlier in John 7, the reason I use the language judge by appearances is in John 7, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's verse 24. Then he illustrates through the Pharisees, what does it look like to judge by appearances? They make assumptions about Jesus rather than seeking understanding. And they get them wrong. That's reason number one why people respond wrongly to Jesus. They make assumptions and they don't seek understanding. But there's a second way that the crowd and the Pharisees respond wrongly to Jesus. And that is by speaking from their own authority. From speaking from their own authority. Earlier in John 7, just a few verses before where our passage picks up, the Pharisees send people to arrest Jesus. You talk about speaking to an unfriendly crowd, right? That's an unfriendly crowd. They want to arrest him, but these officers don't arrest him. And listen to the reason for this. Verse 44, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? You had one job. Why didn't you do it? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The officers hear Jesus' words and they can't bring themselves to arrest him. These people may not know who Jesus is, but they know who Jesus is not. He is no ordinary man. No one ever spoke like him. How do the Pharisees respond to this? Do they say, whoa, 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 no one ever spoke like this man. Let's do a Bible study here. Let's reason as to why Jesus is wrong. Reason as to why you should have gone and arrested him. No. They don't try to teach. They rebuke from a position of authority. They say, verse 47, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd who does not know the law is accursed. It's an argument from authority. They are saying, we know the law. Trust us. We haven't believed in him. Neither should you. They're speaking from a position of their own authority. And this is an example of what Jesus says also earlier in, verse, in chapter 7 and verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The Pharisees speak from their own authority because they are seeking to be authoritative. They're seeking glory for themselves. You should listen to us. Don't listen to him. You should trust us. Don't trust him. We are the authorities. We are the correct ones. What's the connection between judging by appearances 
and speaking from authority. How do those fit together? What's the root reason why people respond to Jesus wrongly in this chapter? The answer is pride. People respond wrongly to Jesus because of pride. Do you know what pride is? Pride is putting yourselves in a position that you don't deserve to be in. It is thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. God is not proud. God is perfectly in a position of authority. He is perfectly in a position of rule. When we put ourselves in the place of God, we become proud. Proud people assume that they know all the answers and that they don't need to ask questions in order to get to the truth. Proud people assume that they can trust what their eyes see. They are perfect interpreters of the world around them. They are their own standard for what is truth. I say what's right and what's wrong. You can't tell me what's true. I have my truth. Proud people assume they're above the word of God. When they see things they don't like in it, they either assume that it doesn't apply to them or that it is wrong and they are right. Pride keeps the Pharisees and the crowd from seeing Jesus rightly. Do you have a pride problem? We all do. If you answered no, then the answer is yes. <laughs> so if you responded, no, I don't, let me tell you, you do. Do you assume motives for other people? You assume, I know what this person is thinking and what this person is doing. You know what's going on in someone's heart and someone's mind. When your opinion is challenged or your work is critiqued, do you listen to others and seek understanding? Or do you assume that you have the right answers? I don't need you to question me. You are the one that's wrong. I am the one that's right. Game over. Do you take pride in being associated with the right group of people? That you belong to the in crowd, to the right group of people. Would you be willing to hold fast to something and to be able to say this is true or this is right even when it was held by rejects in society? Americans, would you be willing to say something is true that Joe Biden says, if it's really true? Or something's true that Donald Trump says, if it's really true? Or does being associated with that guy or that guy make you say, nope, they can never do right? I don't know other cultures' politics as well as I know my own, but let the spirit apply. In many cultures today, what matters is not what's true. What matters is what the right people say is true. Whether it is approved by the people that we are seeking to please. Whether it's recognized as right by the right people. Church, pride will keep us from correctly responding to Jesus. A concern to be associated with the in crowd, with the right people, will blind us to seeing Jesus for who he truly is.
and an assumption that we have all the answers will keep us from asking the right questions. It will blind us to seeing the truth as well, which leads us to our second question, and that is, what does it look like to respond to Jesus rightly? If pride keeps us from responding to Jesus the way we should, how do we respond to Jesus rightly? This is the main thing that I want to see this morning in our text. We see it in Nicodemus. Look at verse 50 and listen to how Nicodemus responds to the proud Pharisees. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, we read that in chapter 3 of John, and who was one of them. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. By the way, this is hope for Pharisees. Right? Sometimes we read the Pharisees and we say, they're beyond saving. No, they're not. Nicodemus is there. And Nicodemus is willing to ask questions. Nicodemus, who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus is not a jerk. He's not rude in what he says. But he hears the Pharisees dismiss the officers and say, Have any of the Pharisees believed? And Nicodemus says, um, guys, we have a Bible that says we should listen to what this guy says and we should look at what he does before we jump to conclusions about who he is. That's the way of justice. That's what we're called to do in the law. He points out the Pharisees' hypocrisy. They're the ones that are out of step with the law. They're the ones that are judging by appearances. Nicodemus stands in contrast to the proud Pharisees. They speak from their own authority. In doing so, they elevate themselves above God's word. Nicodemus humbles himself below God's word and is even willing to speak up when everyone around him is condemning Jesus and says, guys, we have a, we have a Bible that says we should give this guy a hearing before jumping to conclusions. We have a law that says we should listen to him and learn from him. Nicodemus is on the path to responding to Jesus rightly because Nicodemus is on the path to humility. That's how you respond to Jesus rightly. It's by approaching Jesus with humility. A humble person listens to what another person says. They do not judge by appearances, but they seek understanding. A humble person does not lean on their own authority or lean on the authority of someone else, but rather they lean on the authority of truth. They do not elevate themselves above scriptures, but they submit themselves to the scriptures. The reality of God changes everything about the way in which you see the world. If there is a God who exists, then that means that we are not in charge of our own lives. That we are not the authoritative ones of our own lives. We stand under him as creatures. He is the creator. We are the creatures. If there is a God who reveals himself with words, then it is actually arrogant not to listen. It's saying, I don't need that. Humility is to listen to the words. When Satan first tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, 
He attacked the word of God. And he tried to make them critics of the word of God. He tried to put the word under them. Did God really say that you shouldn't do this? Rather than having them be accountable to God's word, he tried to make them judges of God's word, determining for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And this thread of rebellion to God's word, of listening and submitting to ourselves rather than listening and submitting to God, it runs through the history of the world. The sin of pride elevating ourselves against God is on display in every culture in every generation, throughout all time, over and over again. But the word of God has not changed. This book is reliable. And God has spoken. And the appropriate response to what he says is humility. God gives a promise to us if we humble ourselves before the word. John, we didn't coordinate this, but John prayed this promise in his prayer. Isaiah 66, this is the one to whom I will look, says God. Do you want to have the most powerful being in the universe, the one who made all things, who rules over all things? Do you want to have his smile upon you? Do you want to have his gaze upon you? What should you do? This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Some of you are here this morning and you have never trembled at the word of God. You've never listened to Jesus for yourself. You may have been trusting what other people have told you, what your parents have told you, what a pastor in the past has told you, what another religious leader has told you. Or you may have assumed that you already know what Jesus is like. You have all the answers. You may call yourself a Christian. You may not call yourself a Christian. But can I plead with you this morning? See what Jesus says for yourself. What I say does not matter unless it lines up with what Jesus says. Read the word for yourself. Open a Bible. Find someone to read it with you. And listen to Jesus for yourself. Let your opinion about Jesus be shaped by who he truly is and what he truly does rather than what other people may have told you about him. Kids, kids in this room, you should listen to your parents. That's it, sermon done. You should listen to your parents. No, you should listen to your parents. But you should not only listen to your parents when it comes to Jesus. You should be reading the Bible for yourself as you get older. It's important to know Bible stories. It's important to sing Bible songs. But some of you read more books than I do. (laughs) You can read the Bible for yourself, and you should. Open your Bibles and see Jesus for yourself, kids. You can, and that's how you'll come to know him truly. I love what C.S. Lewis, writing in the mid-1900s, would say to people who would claim to love Jesus and claim that Jesus was a good teacher, but they wouldn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They wouldn't believe that Jesus actually died on the cross and rose from the dead. C.S. Lewis would laugh at this idea because he'd say, if you actually read the sort of things that Jesus says, 
then you cannot hold the view that you hold. He would say there's only three responses to Jesus. Jesus is either a liar in that he is saying false things about himself and making false claims about himself, in which case you can't say that Jesus is a good teacher. He's either a lunatic, a crazy person, and how many of us want to take classes with a crazy person so we can't say he's a good teacher? Or if he's not a liar and not a lunatic, then that means that what he says is true, which means he is the Lord, that he's not merely a good teacher, but he is the Lord of all. To tolerate Jesus is to not listen to him. To pick and choose the things about Jesus that you like and discard the other is to proudly elevate yourselves above Jesus. Humility demands that we listen to Jesus' words and look at Jesus' works. And if you do that, you will hear that Jesus speaks like no one else. He claims to be eternal, existing before Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be able to give people the Holy Spirit. He says that his body is the temple where people meet with God. He says that he will die for the sins of his people and then take his life up again and rise again. He says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. No one ever spoke like this man. And his works show that he is unlike any other man. He shows compassion to the people society hates. He welcomes the outcast and the widow and the orphan. He even cares for hypocritical Pharisees. And he goes to the cross to die so that we can have life. There's no one like Jesus. He is the purest person who has ever existed. He is the most loving person that has ever existed. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The glory of Jesus is something that you have to see firsthand for yourself. You cannot catch it from other people. It must be experienced for yourself. If you want to see the best view of this world, you may need to climb to the highest mountain. If you want to see the best view of Jesus, you have to go low, though, in humility. And you have to see your sin for what it is. You have to see yourself for who you truly are. You have to take up your cross and follow him. And having died to ourselves, we will live with Jesus. He came and died in our place so that we could have life. He emptied himself so that we could be made full. He is glorious so that we can be glorified. Listening takes humility. It means we die to the desires to be praised by other people, the desires to fit into the right crowd. But once we see the truth in Scripture, and I hope some of you have seen the truth in Scripture this morning, once we see it for ourselves, do you know what the humble thing to do is? It is to stand with the Scriptures, regardless of what else goes on in this world, and to stand and say, I am on the side of truth. When Nicodemus brings up what the scriptures actually teach, do you know how the Pharisees respond to him? They dismiss him. They're not interested in it. Listen to what they do. They mock him. They insult him. Verse 52, are you from Galilee too? 
Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They mock him. They dismiss him. They question his intelligence. If Nicodemus cared about being accepted by the authorities, he would have been devastated. But you know what the humble thing to do for Nicodemus in that moment was? It was to stand his ground and to say, I'm with truth, and this man is true. And as we read the Gospel of John, what we see is that Nicodemus does so. When all the disciples have gone and Jesus is dead before he rises from the grave, Nicodemus is there. And I think it's because he saw that Jesus was true. Arrogance rebels against God's word. Humility submits to God's word. Many of us are from a culture where holding fast to Jesus' claims will lead to us being treated the way that Nicodemus was. People will call us stupid. They will question our intelligence. People may call us bigots, that we are hateful and judgmental. They will dismiss us. The humble thing to do is to submit ourselves to the scripture and to stand with what is true and what is right. We allow for God to define what is loving. We allow for God to define what is right and wrong. We allow for God to define our identity and our purpose. Humility means that our authority is God's word and not ourselves. Humility means that our authority is God's word and not popular opinion. Humility means that our view of what is true and what is right is wrong is shaped by something that is outside of us, that is objectively true and true for all people. Humility means that our practices are shaped by the scriptures and not by what is culturally accepted or trendy. Proud people try to fit in with those around them. Proud people assume they have all the answers in themselves. Humble people listen, learn, and trust. And when we approach Jesus in humility, we respond to him rightly. We see him for who he truly is and embrace him for who he truly is. We listen to him and learn what he does. And we see that no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever lived like this man. And that no one ever loved like this man. And that is the side to be on against the world. Let's pray. Lord, we glory in Jesus. Whatever gain we had, we count as loss for the sake of Christ. Would you help us to be people who tremble at your word, who are willing to be looked down on if it means being with you? Because, Jesus, you are worth it. There is no one like you. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.